As you guys have been hearing oh, the last few weeks, we are partnering with the Samaritan Community Center to fill backpacks. And I've seen a lot of those tubs getting filled up. But for those of you like me that might wait till the last minute, feel free to set your reminder because next Sunday is the last opportunity to drop supplies in the foyer. And also happening next week, the Alm family will be here. And they are some of our global workers who are inviting you to come and hear about the work that they're doing on the other side of the globe. So if you'd like to connect with them, four o'clock next Sunday here at Fellowship upstairs in the great room. So girls, I think it's time to introduce ourselves. Uh, my name is Angie Simmerman. For the last 10 years, I have served on the elementary team walking alongside a lot of you as you've raised kids here at Fellowship. And just wanted to let you know that I'm stepping into a new role on the community team. And these are two of my newest teammates. This is Jules and this is Gabby. And we just want you to know that we want all women here at Fellowship to find a place where you can flourish and thrive, a place to belong, to grow, to serve, and to multiply. Yeah, so like Angie said, my name's Gabby, and I graduated from the U of A this past May. Um, and I am also from Bentonville. Um, but moving back, I've had to experience um, what it's like to build new community um, and to just be new again and not have community. And so, um, yeah, that's a little bit about me. Yes, so like Gabby, my husband and I, Dylan, um, we have felt that too. He's on the student team here, and he's the one that's usually rocking some combo of a mullet perm and mustache. You've probably seen him. Um, but we have lived in Northwest Arkansas for a little over a year now. Um, moving to a new city and a new church has given me a renewed vision of providing a space for young women to be known, um, including a space to thrive and grow. Um, and so, Jules and I get to spend this next year serving on the community team um, and just helping young adults become connected um, and to see the way that God moves through us and through young adults throughout um, Northwest Arkansas. And so, we'd love, if you're a young adult in the room, to, for you to come join us. And yes, so we have two opportunities this week for easy connection. Tomorrow night, we'll be gathering to play volleyball at the Houses House, and you can come find me in the foyer after service for that address. And then Tuesday night, all women from Fellowship Bentonville, including the three of us, will be here on campus for our July Women's Gathering. It will be an awesome night of connection and games, and both of those start at 7 p.m. We'd love to see you there. And although gatherings are a fun way to find new friends and meet new people, we ultimately believe in the life-changing work that God does through community groups. And so throughout this next um, couple of weeks, Jules and I are working on launching those community groups. Um, and so you're, if you're interested in joining one of those, um, we will be at the community booth after service, and we'd love to talk to you about that. So that invitation to jump into a small group is for women of all ages. Also, the Tuesday night women's gathering is for um, all of us, and so we'd love to see you there. Now, that volleyball piece, 
that's for the young ones. Um, so um, I think we'll, I don't, I don't know. Do you think I could still, do you think I could still hang? <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> okay, I'm, I'm, yeah. Okay, here's what we want you to know. The three of us are here to help you and to serve you. And every week, you should be able to find us in the foyer before and after service, and we'd love to meet you. Grab coffee together, hear your story. We want to help equip you to live life through the church in whatever way God is calling you. And so now, as we move into a time of singing, I'd love to invite you to stand with us. It is our heart this morning to continue to learn patterns where we can create space so that we can see God more clearly and experience God more clearly. And so even now, why don't you take a deep, deep breath, hold it, and exhale slowly as Gabby reads this psalm over us. It is good to praise the Lord and make music to your name, O Most High, proclaiming your love in the morning and your faithfulness at night, to the music of the ten-string lyre and the melody of the heart. For you make my, me glad by your deeds, Lord. I will sing for joy all what your hands have done.
Second Chronicles, Solomon prays and he asks God to forgive the sins of the people of Israel. And it says in chapter 7, as soon as Solomon finished his prayer, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifice and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. And the priests could not enter the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord filled the Lord's house. And so with open hearts, let's say together our own prayer of confession to the Lord. Heavenly Father, have mercy on us. We are not loving. I confess, bowing 
And we have him. <laughs> That's the beautiful thing. Let's read this second part of that prayer together, this assurance of pardon. Read it with me. Church, believe the good news. Jesus died for us. Jesus rose for us. Jesus intercedes for us. In him, we are a new creation. In him, we have forgiveness of sin. In him, we have a Savior. To God be the glory forever and ever. Amen. 
too tired, worn out, burned out on religion. Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Stand in silence for a moment. Maybe even close your eyes. You are here. And he is here. God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who is good and true and beautiful. We gather as His people because He has gathered us by His Spirit and through His Son to His side. He is good and true and beautiful. And he calls us to himself. And we are glad. It's in your name we ask, Lord, that you would open our ears and our eyes so that we would see more of what you have for us, what you have for us, what you have for us. And so we freely receive and gladly receive this morning. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Oh, so good to see you. If social media can be believed, many of you are out on vacation this week over the holiday week. It's good to have you back. It's really good to have you back. I hope you got away with people you love. I hope you got time away that uh, not only rested your body and your mind, but even your soul. And it is good to be back together as well in this same process. So, hey, some of you got away to some really quiet vacations. Good for you. What comes to mind when you think of a quiet place? A quiet place. Is it that favorite beach spot for you? Lake spot? Seaside spot? Is a quiet place for you maybe... Uh, 
I don't know, early in the morning in a favorite chair with a favorite cup of coffee. If you have lots of young children in the home, maybe a quiet place for it is not uh, early in the morning. And you might even be at certain seasons of life where it's not late at night either. But when you find those quiet places, you love them and you want to go there. But for some of us, when we think of a quiet place, ever since 2018, that phrase has been ruined for us because of a very creative horror movie that John Krasinski wrote. Almost no dialogue in the movie, but absolutely terrifying, called A Quiet Place. I could not get my wife Lisa to see this movie with me. Oh, she missed out. So many of us loved it so much that Krasinski wrote a sequel, A Quiet Place Part Two. I think it should have been called A Quieter Place. And it's really not so strange that a horror movie was titled A Quiet Place because the reality is that silence and solitude scares us. And you know it does because we run from it so often. We fill every uh, quiet place with noise because it's frightening to find ourselves in a quiet place. Hey, we're deep into our series on spiritual rhythms. That's the title we've given to uh, really a summertime series on spiritual practices or holy habits that help us engage with God. The points that uh, this series is trying to do is help us participate with the Holy Spirit's work in our life because the Holy Spirit is always at work in our life and his goal is to turn us into the image more and more uh, uh, to the Son of God, to Jesus Christ. And spiritual practices or spiritual rhythms are just our willing participation with the Holy Spirit to see him do what he does best, which is change us from the inside out. This morning, we're going to be looking at silence and solitude, a quiet place. And this should be the one spiritual rhythm that needs no explanation, right? It is self-explanatory. We know that silence well, we know what it is. We know what solitude is. So definition is not what we need most. No, we actually need some vision. We need vision to understand why we need silence and solitude. We need vision to actually see why we run from it so readily. And to do that, we're going to see a famous scene in the Old Testament where the prophet Elijah has just had a showdown with the prophets of Baal, the false god that the people of Israel had adopted as their god. And in this showdown, this conflict has left Elijah a wanted man, and he is now on the run for his life. He is emotionally and physically and spiritually exhausted. And after 40 days of travel to Mount Horeb, that's the mountain of God, Elijah finds a cave. He finds a quiet place to go and hide. And we pick up the story in 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 9. And there we read, There Elijah went into a cave, and he spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? It's so interesting to me, because Elijah went to that cave to escape and to hide, and yet God used that quiet place, that cave, to meet Elijah in a very personal way. And God asked a question of Elijah that silence and solitude often uncovers it. He asked the question of Elijah, 
hey, Elijah, let's talk about what's really going on with you. That is the reason we find silence and solitude so frightening for us. Because when it gets quiet, we come face to face with ourselves. And we don't know how to deal with that. So we will podcast something, turn on some background music, get something else streaming or watching, anything. But to have to deal with the question of what is really going on with us and on the inside. You see, God used solitude and silence to connect with Elijah in a way that Elijah needed most. And there's a difference between the spiritual rhythm of solitude and our current practice of isolation. A man named Wayne Kudera was a pastor and really a high-octane leader who ran kind of at a harder charging pace and began to knock on the door of burnout. And as he recovered his own soul, he wrote about the process and how spiritual disciplines led him back to the place he needed to be. And Cordero writes that there is a world of difference between isolation and solitude. They may contain similar characteristics, but in reality, they are worlds apart. Solitude is a chosen separation for refining your soul. Is that not a great definition? A chosen separation for refining your soul. Isolation is what you crave when you neglect solitude. You see, the spiritual practice of silence and solitude is not the same as our modern-day practice, really our modern-day infatuation with escapism. Escapism is that cheap substitute that uh, we pursue when we're running on empty. And you know exactly what I'm talking about. When you're out of gas emotionally or spiritually or, or mentally or even relationally, we, we pull away and we think, I'm just going to fill my life with a night of scrolling or a night of streaming, and that'll fill the empty places. Has it worked yet? No. We know it hasn't worked, which is why we binge watch, needing more and more. Maybe for some, we fill the empty space with too much wine or too much bourbon, hoping that we can escape life and that somehow that kind of escapism will refuel us. No, that's not the same as silence and solitude. Silence and solitude is, not also, is also not the same as loneliness. Richard Foster, he's been quoted several times in this series out of his famous book, Celebration of Discipline. And Foster says this. He says, loneliness is inner emptiness. Solitude is inner fulfillment. And this inner fulfillment can only happen when we experience what our souls actually crave the most. And what our souls crave the most is to connect with the God who created us. He who knit our mind, our will, and our emotions together, he who formed our bodies, knows exactly what we need most, and what we need most is him. He is our best good. Silence and solitude is just one of the invitations on how we experience him. We know that because that's how Elijah began to refill. Verse 11 in 1 Kings 19 goes on to say, The Lord said... Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord. The Lord, that's Yahweh, is about to pass by. Don't you see the invitation? 
The invitation God gives him is an invitation into his presence. He invites Elijah to experience him, and silence and solitude is just the invitation on how to do that. How does that happen? Well, for Elijah, the next line says this. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart. We call those tornadoes. They shattered the rocks before the Lord. The Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, there was an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake came a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. God's Quiet Place was not a horror movie. Now, it could have been. God could easily reveal himself in these episodes of tornado, earthquake, and fire. He certainly had the previous chapter. The previous chapter when Elijah's having a standoff with the prophets of Baal, Yahweh reveals himself in his power and glory through fire falling down from heaven. Oh, God could have used those, but he didn't. Why? Because that's not what Elijah needed most. What Elijah needed most was an intimate connection with the Creator. And so the next line continues. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled the cloak, his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. And then a voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? And Elijah heard this time. He took note. He heard the voice of God in a gentle whisper. That phrase, a gentle whisper, it's really hard for us to translate in English, and which is why, depending on the English Bible you're looking at on your phone or on your lap right now, you're going to see it as sometimes a still, small voice, other kinds of phrases. Uh, the point is it's the sound, the sound of a small quiet. It's the sound of quiet. That sounds like an oxymoron in our culture, right? G. Campbell Morgan, uh, a preacher from bygones and bygones ago, more than 100 years ago, is one of my favorite uh, teachers. He describes it this way. It's the sound of gentle stillness. Well, for us, the gentlest, quietest, stillest voice we can hear which is why it's translated that way, a whisper. Think about a whisper. You have to get close to someone to hear a whisper. You have to turn off all the background noise to hear a whisper. And whispering is intimate communication. And that's what God does in the silence and the solitude here. You know, it actually takes keen ears to hear a whisper. One of my grandchildren is a fountain of passion and enthusiasm. Uh, she came out of the womb as joy bubbling over. And for the first five years of her life, we always thought that her lack of attention, um, well, you just chalked it up to unbridled energy. And yet when she did focus, she focused very intently, would look at you very focused, and then she went off to school, and in her first year of school, her teacher and her parents 
started to suspect something. Sure enough, it was di- she was diagnosed as being partially deaf from birth. But she learned how to hear you through reading your lips. Yeah, I forgot to tell you, she's also gifted and brilliant. See, this little girl's silence had caused her other senses to become so keen, she caught what you were saying, even without the the gift of physical hearing. You know, after she got her hearing aids at Children's Hospital, she said to me, hey, Pops, did you know when people whisper to you, they're not just pretending to be talking, they're actually saying something to you really quietly? Suddenly it became clear to her. So it is with us. Silence causes our senses to become so much more sharpened. And we actually hear better through solitude and silence. I think just like that sweet girl who was born with partial hearing loss, our our spiritual ears can be tuned in more when we practice the same kind of silence and very focused reading of lips. I think that might be why Psalm 119 says, open my eyes, Lord, so that I may hear your word. Isn't that fascinating? Silence and solitude helps tune our ears, which is why Jesus practiced that rhythm so much. In Mark chapter 1, just the very beginning of his public ministry, we read in verse 32 That that evening, after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed, and the whole town gathered at the door. Now, it says that evening. What evening? Well, the verses right before us tell us that Jesus had a day that, well, honestly, would cause me to be peopled out. He had a day where he was healing and teaching and, well, just needs after needs after needs. And now he retreats to Simon Peter's mother-in-law's home for a meal and some quiet time. He is peopled out. And the town follows him to that door, and they're pressed around. And now his long day has become an even longer night filled with needy people. And after 24 hours of that constant rush of needs, what does Jesus do? Because it seems like we could take a play from the master's playbook. Notice what he does next in verse 35. Very early in the morning... While it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. You see, for Jesus, the quiet place was a place of filling, not a place of emptiness. And silence and solitude were the Savior's practice and pattern. This was not his escape route. This was not his emergency uh, plan B. You know, I've been too peopled out, and now I'm in an emergency, go to sob silence. No, when you read the Gospel of Luke from beginning to end, you see that nine times Jesus practiced a rhythm of silence and solitude for the purpose of being refilled with the Father's presence. In fact, if you look at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, you start to see silence and solitude played out from the opening pages. In Mark chapter 1, verse 12, right after he's baptized, in the Jordan River, and the Holy Spirit comes upon him, the next verse says, then the Holy Spirit led him to the wilderness. 
And for 40 days, he had quiet of silence and solitude, communion with the Father. And out of that communion with the Father came this hand-to-hand combat with the king of hell, where he was tempted by Satan himself. And shortly after that, he re-enters into the town, calls his disciples to be there. And there we read in verse 35, still Mark chapter 1, that he says it went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Again, early in his ministry, Mark chapter 6, right after the disciples had one of those very active, high people-oriented, high activity seasons, Mark chapter 6, verse 31, Jesus says, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. Here's what I find is fascinating. The same Greek word is translated wilderness, solitary place, and quiet place telling me that silence and solitude can have different functions in our life. On one hand, for Jesus, silence and solitude was like a safari. It launched a whole new adventure and propelled him into the next chapter of his ministry. But on the other hand, silence and solitude was like a sanctuary. It was a place of recovery for the soul. And haven't you seen that? Where you need both? Lisa and I just finished vacationing together. After 37 years of marriage, she's finally said, when we vacation, I've realized you cannot do, Mark, an entire time of just quiet. You drive us crazy after a while. There has to be some element of adventure or play woven into that for you to kind of experience that kind of rest. And so, so it is with silence and solitude. It can be a place where it is quiet in a sanctuary kind of way but also quiet in a way where God speaks to us and recues us for the next assignment, the next season in life. Some of us here are about to embark on another season. Maybe for you, retirement is coming, and it makes you nervous. It would me. Maybe the first thing is extended periods of silence and solitude to let God recalibrate that next adventure for you. God invites us into that same space, which is why verse chapter 6, he says, come away with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. That's the invitation of Jesus with us. You see the definition of silence and solitude, right? Quiet place, that's silence. By yourselves, that's solitude. But what's most compelling about that is why Jesus issues that invitation. And the why is, come with me and get some rest. You see, silence and solitude become an invitation to connect with God and recover our souls. So if that's the vision, how do we practice that and live it out? How do we practice a quiet place in an especially Noisy, noisy world. Some of it's noise that comes at us, and can we just shoot straight with us? Much of it is noise that we create ourselves because we're running from the questions there. This is why I've asked Seth Graham to join me and teach the rest of this with me. On Monday, I was telling Seth that, uh, in my opinion, he's one of the individuals I've seen transform over the last 
And I don't know exactly when the time period was, Joy, you would probably know better than anybody, but half a dozen to 10 years, I saw a shift in Seth. A deep man became a deep, life-giving well even more so. I mean, we know Seth, and we think sometimes his worship leadership is because he's this incredible vocalist and passable musician. Passable? Fair. It's filled with really a team of incredible musicians. <laughs> Harsh but fair. But that is not the reason. That's not where the depth of worship leading comes from. Uh, it comes from the deep well of a heart that has cultivated transformation with Christ. And I watched him pursue, I don't know, six to ten years ago, a passion for the spiritual practices. And so I just said, hey, take us through the practicals, buddy. In fact, tell me about what even began to whet your appetite during that season uh, of your life? Yeah. Uh, so I was probably early and mid-30s, and um, I just I was kind of staring down midlife and realizing, man, I am, I'm, I'm not where I thought I would be when I was younger uh, as, as far as spiritual maturity goes, as far as character formation goes. And uh, I never would have thought this or said it out loud, um, but I think I, I thought, you know, you just get saved, and then somehow you just slide into spiritual maturity. Mm. And uh, it wasn't happening, and I, I knew I needed to read my Bible and pray, and I was, I was doing those things, but they weren't coming easily, and I was feeling uh, some guilt and shame around uh, how inconsistent and poorly I felt like I was doing those things. And it just struck me, man, this, is, this can't be the abundant life mm. that Jesus offered those who are to follow him. And so that was kind of the personal side of it. And then also leading worship, um, I began to think more and more about the role of the worship gathering for the, in the life of a believer. And um, obviously, I believe that it's an extremely important rhythm that we, that we have in our spiritual life to engage weekly in this way. But what I saw was it was kind of it had become this little boost of inspiration for people, mm. and then they'd kind of ride it out through the week, and it drain out, and they come back to church and get a little little boost, ride it out, and so on. And so over a lifetime, you don't really see much of a growth trajectory mm. uh, in spiritual maturity. You just kind of it's a pretty flat wave, and so you would have few you know. People could come in and fill a pew for years and years and still be as crabby and <laughs> unloving as they were when they started. And so I just, there's got to be more to this uh, than just coming to a service. And, uh, and so it felt like discipleship kind of got truncated to, um, to your little inspirational boost on a Sunday. And... Um, yeah, and so, it, and, and kind of this one little thing of if you're a young believer, maybe you get pulled aside for a Bible study for six weeks, and that's discipleship. But what, what is the life of a disciple like, and how do I participate in spiritual formation, and what the Holy Spirit's wanting to do to transform me and grow me into that abundant life that was offered? So. Yeah, and that's the well that I started seeing as we were working together. How did uh, silence and solitude start to play a, a part in that spiritual formation, but even maybe even a part in the other spiritual practices? Yeah, slowly. Huh. 
uh, as with any spiritual um, discipline, first of all, that word uh, was scary to me. It felt heavy. It felt like legalism, a spiritual discipline. And uh, one of the things that I just, I found out through that process is um, it doesn't have to be heavy. It's actually an invitation to life and, and to experimenting with God. He's just like, come try this with me, you know? And so if, if there's a particular discipline that's not connecting or it's not helping in that moment connect with God, maybe just set it aside for a time or, or look, look at it from a different angle. Um, but what was your question again? <laughs> Let me get back to that. I have to think of what my question was. <laughs> what was help. your question? Uh, how did silence and solitude actually play a part oh, okay. in that? Yeah. Like, so like, for me, so is that I, right? said, I said, yes, that was it, man. You nailed it. <laughs> So, uh, in our Springdale house, this was, I don't know how long ago, seven years ago, um, we had this beautiful backyard, uh, mature trees, and the birds and the squirrels, and, ra- and we had some rabbits that uh, like to run around in our backyard in the morning, and we have a, a room that was on the back of that house, a small room with a storm door that looked out into the, to the backyard, and so I set up a comfy chair, like literally just facing out the door. It's really awkward if you just walk in and you're like, why is this chair sitting here? Uh, but I would try to beat the kids up in the morning. Yeah, please explain what that means for people who just heard you say you try to beat up your children in the morning. Oh, my. <laughs> so after I beat up my kids in the morning, then I would go, no, uh, <laughs> try to beat my kids to getting uh, how do I say this? Better, wake up people? before them is what I my friends trying to say. I want to wake up before my kids do. Yeah, we get you. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for that clarification. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and Sully was the worst man. You just take a step out of the bed, and he was there. Uh, and so it was difficult. Um, but I would try to get up before my kids and uh, get to that chair and just sit there. And at first, I would take a big stack of books with the Bible sitting on top, and I'm going to do the, a really uh, spiritual thing and study, study, study. Now, there's a place for study. It's a wonderful thing. But what I realized was God was inviting me to set those books aside and to just sit and to just be with him and just say, God, I'm here. I'm listening. Speak, Lord. Your servant is listening. And just what do you have to say to me today? And um, what I learned through that time is that God really wants to, um, he wants to connect with me. (laughs) How crazy is that? He wants to know me. He wants me to know him. He wants to have a relationship. And uh, he doesn't just want me to know more about him. It was like he said, Seth, you have plenty of my words in your mind. Now, just give, create a little space and ask me and listen for what I might want to say through those words to you in particular this day. And so I began to kind of just sit and listen, and sometimes I heard nothing. <laughs> and, but I still kind of walked out of that time a little more grounded into my day. Uh, a lot of times the things that I would hear, though, were actually really deep foundational things. They were things about my identity. There were things about his character and nature. And, um, yeah, as I learned more about who he is, he began to reveal more about who I am and who he made me to be. Mm. And, uh, and so I would just hear, and when I say hear, not audibly, 
but just a phrase would come, and I just know that it was the Spirit. Um, see those birds out there? They, I'm going to provide worms for them. I do every day, and they don't worry about it. Mm. Okay, God. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, you know, or some really deep, like, you are my son in whom I am well pleased. Just sit with that for a moment. Really let it sink down into your soul. Can you accept that from God? You know, so those are some deep things that I had to kind of process with God. And and you don't hear that stuff if you're just going about your day. (laughs) You can't hear that stuff. And yet we and then we look for it and we try to earn it and we look for it from other people who approve of me and and all of that kind of thing. And so um, we get really empty and we need to go back and fill up in that time. Insightful. Um, higher level, think about the spiritual rhythms, the practices as a whole that you've been incorporating. Because silence and solitude is not the only one. Um, what have you been learning in your journey because of really embracing these last eight to ten years this life? Yeah, I'll tell you one quick story. And this is in the last couple of years I've been in a spiritual formation um, program. And uh, I sat with a lady uh, during one of my residencies, <clears throat> and I was pouring out kind of all my different thoughts and angst and everything. And she stopped me and she said, <clears throat> "Why don't you just, why don't you just play today?" <laughs> and I was like, "Play? What?" <laughs> <clears throat> and what she saw in me was I was really wound up, and I needed to play with God. And she asked me, like, you know, just like when you're a little kid, how did you play? And it made me actually really do some thinking because when I, as a kid, everything that I loved to play, I quickly got on, put on a platform. Hmm. So I loved to sing, and then I was on a stage in, at church in front of the mirror of the other. Uh, I loved to play basketball, quickly on a court, on a team, in front of other people. And so I realized I had kind of forgotten how to play. So the last couple of years, have that's been my main spiritual discipline, play. I love that discipline. And so, and Everett, our eight-year-old, has mm. been my guide. That's and cool. so I uh, spent a lot of time just playing with Everett the last couple of years. And uh, man, what a difference it's made. And so that's, that's what I was saying earlier. You know, some disciplines are for different things, and they're kind of, endless like there's a lot of options for what that discipline might be for you that's gonna help you the most in this season um but that's what i needed uh well i love that i hope the vision you're picking up this summer at least it's the one we've surely tried to communicate is a holistic picture of the spiritual practices yes word and prayer foundational and yes we talked about simplicity and confession we've talked about silence and solitude this morning uh we've um we will look, be looking at worship and celebration and service and Sabbath. In other words, a holistic view of life rather than do these three things and out comes this output. Um, but I do think it'd be wise for us to practice silence and solitude even this morning for a few minutes. And I know we can't practice solitude, not in a room as filled as this one, but we can practice silence. And Seth, I wonder if you would begin to lead us through that. I'd love to. Um, so Psalm 4610, 
in the message version, I love this. He says, step out of the traffic. Take a long, loving look at me, your high God, above politics, above everything. Isn't that good? Seriously, isn't that good? Yeah, I thought it was. Uh, Isaiah, in chapter 30 and verse 15, he says, This is what the sovereign Lord, the Holy One of Israel, says, In repentance and rest is your salvation. In quietness and trust is your strength. And a lot of times we end the verse right there, but here's how it finishes. But you would have none of it. So let's have some of it. <laughs> um, a quick word on repentance. So repentance here is the Greek word metan metanoia. And it means uh, to reconsider, to think again <laughs> about your way of life, to reconsider. So what would it look like for you to reconsider where your salvation and your strength might really come from? And, re and rest and quiet and trust the Lord. So I want to invite you just for a moment to, to sit. Why don't you sit up in your chair and sit back against the back, if you would. Put your feet flat on the floor. And just put your hands on your legs, on your knees, but just palms up in a receiving posture. I want to invite you to just close your eyes. And here's, here's what I want you to do, is just allow your mind to settle on that, that one thing, that nugget, that thing that stuck out to you today in the teaching, through the music, through an interaction. Where, what's God trying to connect with you on? Is there a sin you need to confess? Is there just an invitation that you're sensing to sit with him more? Whatever that may be, I want you to just sit with that. And I want to leave you with one last thought. And this might help your time. We're going to have a couple minutes, so don't be thinking about what's coming next. St. Ignatius, he said, he said that anytime you pray, you should just spend a couple of minutes looking at God, looking at you. Looking at God, looking at you. What do you see in his eyes?
Fellowship Bentonville, isn't it so good, so, so good to come into the presence of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen? We here at Fellowship uh, have a strong desire. No, I don't know if that's strong enough. We have a passion to help everyone here that is a part of our body to get connected. And there is a opportunity that is very near and dear to my heart, and uh, we call it Legacy Bentonville. And um, as you can see on the screen behind me, we'll be having our next Legacy Gathering on Wednesday, uh, July 2nd. And it's at 10 o'clock, and it's on the second floor in that other building over there. And we would love to have you join us. If you're in the legacy phase of life, and we define that as a mature follower of Christ who is seeking to live and finish well from God's perspective, if you're looking for more meaning, more purpose, more joy than you can possibly imagine, you may want to come and check this out. Um, also, uh, we believe very strongly in, in prayer, in the power of prayer. And this morning, uh, the prayer team, which happens to be myself and my sweet wife, Connie, over there, we would love to have you come and join us, and we'll be down front. And regardless of what season of life that you're in, if you have questions about anything uh, related to Fellowship Bible Church, we will have some people back in the foyer at the community booth that could help you out. If you'd allow me, I'd like to say a blessing over us as we dismiss today. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May each of us respond to his invitation to come to me. Come by yourselves to me to a quiet place and get some rest. So regardless of your circumstance today, whether you're in chaos or confusion, May you hear his still, small voice reminding you that he is actively present in your life, providing healing, teaching, and guiding. Also, may we each of us this week listen to that very gentle whisper where he tells each one of us, you are deeply loved, you are totally forgiven, you are precious in my sight. Amen. Go in peace, fellowship.